Welcome to This Week in Photo. Bandwidth for this podcast is brought to you by CashFly at C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. This episode of TWIP is brought to you by Squarespace.com, the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase on new accounts, go to Squarespace.com and use the offer code TWIP7. And now Squarespace is offering free domain registration with annual plan subscriptions. This episode of This Week in Photo is brought to you by FreshBooks, the easy online invoicing app for small businesses that saves time and gets you paid faster. Join over 3.5 million FreshBooks users and try the service for free. Get 30 days of unlimited use at FreshBooks.com. And be sure to let them know that you heard about it on TWIP. This week on Twip, Yahoo Googles a CEO, Apple Ready's Mountain Lion, a discussion about the new Google Plus iPad app, and an interview with Dane Sanders. It's Wednesday, July 18th, 2012, and this is Twip. And welcome back to another episode of TWIP. I am your host, Frederick Van Johnson. Today's topics on the show are a CEO shakeup at two major companies. Apple is just about to release Mountain Lion, a discussion about the new Google Plus iPad app, and an interview with my buddy, Dane Sanders. And joining me to discuss these topics are Mr. Derek Story, Mr. Steve Simon, and a new voice on This Week in Photo, Mr. Don Komarechka. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. Hi, Derek. All right. Uh, a, a hearty welcome to Don, a, a neighbor to the north there. What is going on, Don? Tell us what's going on in your world. I know I interviewed you a while back for This Week in Photo, so the audience has been introduced to you, but tell us who you are and what you like to do photography-wise. Well, as uh, as a photographer, I do a lot of nature, landscape, and and macro photography. I write for Outdoor Photography Canada. I do their beginner basics column. And uh, I do a fair bit of teaching and and fine art sales as well. I just got back from a trip to Eastern Europe and did a fair bit of uh, photography there. Uh, Adventures that got me chased by guard dogs and uh, trespassing through some old Soviet-era buildings. So that was kind of fun. And uh, back in Canada for less than a week now. So uh, sort of getting back into the swing of things. Very cool. Well, welcome to the show, man. It's uh, it's good to have a, a new voice on the show. And and there's also older voices, not old as in age, but older as in you guys have been on the show forever. First off, Mr. Derek Story. Derek, I haven't talked to you in forever. What have you been up to? Probably more workshops and barbecues and things like that, right? Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned that. We just did the barbecue last week. Yeah, I last figured. weekend. Yeah, how was that? Oh, it was so good. <laughs> How good was it? It was so good. <laughs> Did you actually get any photography done, or were your fingers too sticky from the barbecue? <laughs> well, you know, uh, the way we did it as a workshop, so we had six shooters, yeah. and uh, so when you when you take the shot list that normally I do by myself, and you divide it up, you know, six ways, we had plenty of time for eating and drinking which is what we did so we got a lot of shots but we really i mean we really enjoyed the event it was it was major fun that's really cool yeah your workshops are awesome i gotta say i love the, i love the way you keep them intimate so that 
it's not a cattle call. It's just, you know, a couple people in there getting to know each other and you leave with friends, right? Yeah. Oh, they do. I mean, it's so funny because, you know, the the first night, you know, everyone's a little quiet at first and, you know, this is like first day of school, right? Then after about three hours or so, even on the first night, I can't even get a word in edgewise. I have to like, I'm going to need like a gavel or something because they, <laughs> they all, they all start yakking among themselves, which is what I really want, which is, you know, that's absolutely what I really want. So, but I, I love watching it happen. It's great. Very cool. And also on the show, back from wherever he has been hiding in New York City, Mr. Steve Simon. Steve, where have you been? Have you been out in Dubai hiding out or what? What's going on No, with you? actually, I was uh, I was back in the homeland, Don. I was there on Canada Day because I've been doing this project where every year I'm in a different part of Canada on Canada Day. So hmm. it's a 13-day, 13-year project because there's 10 provinces and three territories. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty well done now. So I'm going to do something with it. So yeah, I was in uh, the nation's capital which is Ottawa. Okay, well, Don knew that. I, I knew the other guys. <laughs> I was going to say Washington, D.C. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm back now. And, and the other thing I've been really working on, because I've set myself a deadline of August 15th to get my new website and my blog up. Steve, so, Steve, August I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you crap about that. <laughs> Derek, I haven't set the year yet. I know. I, I was going to say because Steve, you, I remember three years ago, literally three joke. years this ago, is, you were saying, "Hey guys, so, I'm going to get on that Twitter thing and get my get my website going." Any tips? <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, but uh, looks like it's it's going to happen. I'm going to make it happen. Uh, or else I'll 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 I don't know, do the show naked or something oh, uh, no, next. No, no. No. Or, or I won't do it. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure something no, out. No, it's supposed to be an incentive, not a... Not That's yeah. true. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll figure something out. But yeah, I'm really anxious to get it up and going, just to have a dialogue with, with people out there that uh, that a blog provides. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, you got you got a ton of content, I'm sure. You've been shooting like a madman. So whenever you get that blog up, it's going to be chock full of content, I'm sure. I hope. Yes. That's good. Well, cool. Well, welcome back, Steve. Um, Before we get started, a little bit of housekeeping. I want to introduce a new little thing that we're doing on This Week in Photo. You guys may remember a couple of, I guess, weeks, months or whatever ago, we um, were experimenting with doing TWIP via Google Plus Hangouts so that people could participate and see the video of us doing the show, kind of a behind-the-scenes look at things. Didn't work out as well as we thought because um, the audio – this is an audio show, obviously. Um, and for some reason, we weren't getting the level of – or the quality of audio that we needed. So we had to bail on that. But I still wanted to do things on Google Plus or on using the Google Plus Hangout feature. So what we're going to be doing is once a week, tentatively on Tuesday evenings at 6, I believe we set it for, we're going to be doing a TWIP Plus. We call it TWIP Plus um, which is going to be a hangout, just a, a hangout generally with one of us in the room, probably, or one like me and another one, another person, and then a group of hangout people in the room. So should be fun. It'll be topical. So like one week we may keep it on. Like the, I just did one yesterday. It was all about Microstock. We'll do another one next week. It's going to be about you know can photographers use YouTube, and I'll have a YouTube celebrity on there. Things like that. But that'll be in addition to this show, the the regular podcast subscription. So we're expanding the This Week in Photo universe. That's the first thing. Um, the second housekeeping thing is we've put up a suggestion box on This Week in Photo. So if you have a tip 
of something you think we should cover or there's a photographer that you think we should interview or anything like that, just go over to thisweekinphoto.com. At the top, there's a link that says Twip Tips. Click on that. It'll take you to a quick form. Just type in what you want us to know and hit send. It will go out to all the people that need to know about it. Basically, it's using Google Docs as a back end and shooting that stuff out to people. So help us out. Help us uh, cover the things that you'd like to see us cover. And just use the suggestion box, and we will uh, we'll get right on that. All right. Um, let's jump into the news. There's a lot of interesting things to talk about this week, like I talked about at the top of the show. First thing is... Yahoo Google the CEO. <laughs> so Google's Marissa Meyer uh, was somehow Yahoo people wooed her over to become the CEO of Yahoo. So she's 37 years old. She was employee number 20 at Google. She um, allegedly, I don't know, these are bullets that I'm reading here. I don't know how true any of this is, but I'm assuming it's true. Um, she was responsible for the clean Google interface, you know, the very the nothingness of google.com and apparently she's going to work first to leverage yahoo's email finance and sports to do more with video and broadband and their mobile businesses and things like that so my question to this crew is flicker <laughs> so what derek i want to put it to you first Flickr. Does this mean you know? Is there hope for Flick, for Flickr now that there's an you know the enterprise has a new Picard or 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 no? Should we just give up? A lot of people hope so, right? I mean, <laughs> there's been this sort of a letter from the internet uh, to uh, to Marissa about Flickr. Please make it awesome again. And uh, I mean, it's it's top on our list in our community for sure uh, when it comes to Yahoo stuff. And I I don't think it'd be a bad move. You know, I mean, Flickr isn't going to be the number one uh, revenue source for for the Yahoo empire, uh, be it as it may, but it is a high flyer in terms of um, you know representing the direction of Yahoo, and and I think if if Flickr was was awesome again, it would it would create some momentum, and I think it would help. I would think it would help her overall push forward. Now I'm biased as a photographer, of course, so you know, but, but uh, I, I think it wouldn't be a bad move at all. It's not, I don't I don't think. I don't think it's being biased. I think you look at what what's happened with Google Plus, not that it's, you know, overrunning the world by any means yet, but it it has proven to be really popular with photographers. And Flickr does have allegedly one or two people using it. So it's <laughs> it's a gigantic service right now that mm-hmm. it's not like it's going away. So Don, what what about you? I mean, are are you a Flickr er er er? Yeah, I, I do have a number of uh, photographs on Flickr, but I haven't been using it nearly as much as I used to. And that's because I've been migrating my, my time and my efforts over to Google+, and I, I've played around with 500px. And, and there's so many services out there competing for a photographer's attention. Mm-hmm. Um, I look at what Flickr has done in the last little while, and there's been some incremental, mostly aesthetic upgrades to the way that they do things. And, and they've been reactionary. They've been um, looking at the successes of other people and sort of playing catch up and none of those changes have gone in and changed any core functionality or the way you navigate the website and and some of that stuff is pretty broken so i'm thinking looking at the way that Flickr is currently set up uh, they might be best to just say 
okay, new team of developers, what would Flickr be if it was released in 2015? Start making it now and release it a year from now, so it's ahead of the curve. Uh, I, I can't see them doing much to it without things breaking accidentally and then losing more and more people. So they're in a tough spot with it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Now we there's a we'll put a link to to Thomas Hawks. Thomas Hawk wrote an open letter to Marissa Meyer, CEO of Yahoo, um, and he put a number of options from an armchair quarterback standpoint of what he would do with Flickr if he were her. One of the options is sell it to Google. So Steve, should uh, should Yahoo put the for sale sign on Flickr and wave it in front of Google? Well, I, you know, that's, that's a, a tough question. I don't think that uh, whether you want that to happen or not. Uh, you know, Thomas Hawk was, uh, and I guess used to be, you know, real cheerleader for Flickr. And, mm-hmm. you know, he, he, he became famous really, um, you know, from Flickr just yeah. being so as prolific as he is. He's obviously uh, turned his attention to, to Google and he's a real cheerleader. For them, um, I almost get the sense that he he works for Google, but I I don't know that to be the case. It's it's never mentioned at all. But no, I don't think he does. He doesn't. Yeah. But he's definitely you know affiliated affiliated with them. Um, I think you know. I mean, it wouldn't be bad. I mean, the the fact is, guys, and I'll ask you this question because I, I I read a post uh, recently. Uh, Scott Bourne talked about social media, and he said that uh, uh, basically, you know, with all these different options that photographers and the general public has to get in. Um, it's really kind of the same herd of people that's going from one to the other. Yeah. And ultimately, it doesn't really make as big a difference. And I think a lot of us feel pressure that, you know, we have to be on all these platforms. Um, I'm just now, you know, with this blog and everything, just you know, starting to, to kind of decide my strategy and the choices that I'm going to make. But uh, I was just curious how you guys felt about that. Do you agree with that? or? Uh, totally agree with that i totally agree that yeah one of one of the big challenges with being a a creative or a photographer in particular is these the the sheer number of these services that keep popping up and it's almost like peer pressure you're like oh wow look at so-and-so posted a really cool picture i feel like i should post one or else i'm a loser you know (laughs) (laughs) like derek posted this cool shot of a barbecue i gotta go find a good barbecue shot to put What what about you, Derek? I mean, to Steve's point, do you think that there there's that problem of keeping up with the Joneses online in these social media networks? Well, I think it depends on your job. Uh, in, in my world, I, I'm a I'm an online guy. I'm an online photographer, so I I pretty much do have to. I think I have to keep up with most of them. And uh, obviously there are some that I like better than others and I I put more energy into. But I think if you're a a passionate photographer, uh, Steve, Steve. (laughs) um, and uh, it's not really your living, but it's it's your love, then I think you should pick the ones that you like and go with that because I think it's always better to do stuff that you really like and not feel like – the minute you feel like you're forced to do something. How do you you split that though, Derek? How do you split? How do you go from, you know, because I'm, I, I think a lot of us, especially the people that are listening to the show, are probably passionate photographers, right? They're they love this stuff. They love the feel of their camera in their hand, the weight, you know, taking pictures and learning new techniques and yeah. uploading all that stuff. But then there's the how do you how do you manage being prolific online and putting your stuff up there with actually shooting 
You know, <laughs> how do you, where, where's and, and further to that, Derek, I'm, I'm curious because I'm, I'm really mm-hmm. thinking of it more from a, a practical perspective, you know, as a photographer who, you know, wants to, you know, have an audience. Um, do you really need to be on all those platforms or are you going to, are you going to miss something if you're not? Um, uh, and which ones are the ones that you're, you're betting on? These yeah, I, th- I think it's an interesting uh, question. I'll, I'll, I'll give you this little anecdotal piece of information so we just talked about the the workshops earlier so every time someone comes to a workshop i ask them well how did you find out about me and to say i have usually around eight people in the room on these things most of the time i'll get seven different answers uh-huh. you know so i'll get one from twip uh, i'll get one from lynda.com i'll get one oh yeah i follow you on google plus uh, sort of thing and it really does sort of come from all over now, that doesn't mean – I mean, they're picking one. They probably maybe know of me on a couple of them. So it's not like I fall into the, you know, the great vast desert if I, if I don't do one of them. But I think you know, my, my job is to, for me is to cast as wide a net as possible. And so the way I manage it, sort of to your question, Frederick, is that you're just very efficient. And you have to limit it to – you're not going to spend all day online. That's, that's not the way – uh, I like to do it. I, I get up early in the morning and I spend the, the first couple hours of the day, two to three hours of the day doing my online stuff. And then I get to my projects and I get to my shooting assignment or, or writing assignment or, you know, whatever I happen to be doing that day. But if you if you sit at the computer all day doing this stuff, you're right. You, I think you will be going the wrong direction. And Don, how do you, how do you manage your online presences? Are you doing the, the Derek Story mode of carving out a specific amount of time during a, a, a set time every day and then leaving everything else? Or do you pop in and out? I, I pop in and out. I make it part of my workflow. So if, if I just finish editing a great picture, I'm proud of it. I still have a lot of energy about that particular or, or that uh, experience. That's when I go and I post it on Google Plus with a story about it when it's still fresh in my mind. And, and I just sort of tack that on to the end of the image editing process just as another step in the workflow. And I think that works well for me, but every photographer is going to have a different way to tackle it. And whatever's the easiest way, I don't want it to appear, uh, feel like it's a chore, like it's something that I have to do begrudgingly to, to go on and, and post something just because I haven't done so that day. Um, I want it to feel like I'm part of a community and that, that uh, the interaction that I get from that fuels me to, to go out and take more pictures. So that's sort of my take on it. And as many places as I can post it and I get that feeling of, uh, of community involvement, then bonus yeah yeah hey fred uh you've got that company media bites and Mm -hmm. i know that you work with photographers to help them and you know market their work and on social uh, media so yeah i'm curious you know what you would uh, sort of tell emerging professionals that that kind of want to get their their word out there about uh, what they're doing um yeah what i what i generally tell people is to you know no pun intended but to focus right so a lot of mistakes, especially say say for example, wedding photographers. And one of the mistakes that wedding photographers make is they they pattern other people and they'll see, hey, you know, look at this. Dane Sanders doing this, and Becker's doing that, and Sarah France is doing that. So I have to do that too, right? When they have completely different goals in mind for what they're trying to do with their businesses. So when I say focus, I mean. If you are growing a constituency online of other photographers and you're showing people your stuff and they're giving you adoration and all of all in all that stuff, that doesn't help you get 
customers, right? Unless other photographers are getting married. And, you know, so, so that's not helping you. It's helping your ego and maybe helping you become a better photographer somewhat with the feedback. But my advice to those, those folks are look at yourself and examine what your business goals are. If you want to be a wedding photographer, then your customer is brides and you should be trying to build a constituency of brides and other people in the bridal industry that can help you get work, not other photographers. And I think that's the main mistake that a lot of us make is we just want, I want more followers on Google plus and typically those are other photographers, right? Well, yeah, you know, I think that's interesting. That's a great point, Frederick. And in my case, the customer is photographer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Right? That's that's who my customers are. I mean, I have, I do, I do uh, assignment work, and but I, that network I already have going. You know, a long time ago, I don't. I've got uh, plenty of clients that way, but uh, I I do want to talk to photographers. So maybe that's why these things uh, fit with me so well. Exactly. And then the point that happened, what happens is people look at Derek and they all look up to you. They listen to the digital story, come to your workshops and say, I'm going to pattern myself after Derek. When Derek is specifically talking to other photographers and that person may need to be talking to gallery owners or brides or models or whatever, right? So, you know, you have to Take just one step back and look at where you're trying to take your business and point it in that direction. Maybe use the the techniques that some of the people you admire use, but also just be cognizant of where you're trying to go. All right. The sage advice, Frederick. Sage advice. Well, Steve had me told me put on my media bites hat. Yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> no, no, it's just, no. I think it's it's really solid. I I totally agree with you on that. Well, I think you. Yeah. And I, I think you know what you said, Derek, and it's something I really got to listen to is that you've got to sort of limit it because it could take yeah. a life. It can you really have to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And procrastination. If you look on my birth certificate, it really is my middle name. <laughs> so I've got to deal with it. And I've got to just be. T- myself i think when i get on that horse and ride it that's a huge topic though i mean i I love talking about that stuff because it's you know from a marketing standpoint it's it's a problem that is uh not just a marketing standpoint just an overall standpoint photography in general is one of the fastest growing hobbies in the united states if not the world right so uh, we're getting these new influxes of people that are hitting those same issues over and over again right so we may be at a certain point on our timeline like okay I figured it out. I'm only going to mess with Pinterest, Facebook, and Twitter, and Google Plus is going to be my central thing. You know, They're still trying to figure it out. They don't know what to do. They don't know which blogging service they should use. Should they be on Twitter? All that stuff. So you know, we just have to be cognizant of that, that you know, there's always new people coming in like waves. It's really interesting. It is. All right. This next thing I want to talk about um, is Lytro. So many of the listeners may remember I had... Ren Ng on a, several months ago. He's the CEO of um, Lytro. And uh, we were talking, this was before Lytro actually launched. And we, we had a nice discussion about their light field camera and about computational photography and what the future holds and all that stuff. It was a really, really interesting, somewhat geeky conversation. Um, I tried to hold back, but <laughs> it went it went in that direction. So the news is Ren is stepping down as CEO of Lytro to focus on product vision technology and the strategic direction of the company. And his new role is executive chairman. So he's not leaving the company. He is going to be the executive chairman. So what I wanted to put to this crowd, that's the news. So the talking points for this is... 
how do you guys feel about computational photography in general? A while back, and Don, I'm going to throw this to you first. So a while back, um, when Lytro was really coming on strong, they hadn't launched yet. It was the future. Everyone's talking about computational photography, focusing after the fact. Oh, my God, it's going to be great. Wait till they apply it to video. It's insane. Um, do you, do we, in general, do you still feel that way? Do you still feel that computational photography is the future of digital imaging? Well, I, I do a lot of macro photography and having a very shallow depth of field is a problem sometimes. And I find myself taking the exact same uh, photograph at different focus points and then combining them afterwards. Mm-hmm. And, and I find that the technology that Lytro possesses can fix that but it's not ready yet or it's not in a product that I can use. So I think that there's definitely a future for it. I don't think that a lot of people will find refocusing after the fact to be very useful in a photograph unless it's for specific situations. The average point-and-shoot owner won't even bother. Um, But for things like video, if the technology comes along that far, then that's great. But that's that's still a while off. There needs to be a lot more horsepower uh, inside of a camera to handle that. And I, I don't think that it's ready. I think that uh, Lytro, if, if their product line is probably going to be integrating into other in, into other uh, cameras. Like if you take a look, uh, Ricoh has their uh, modular system where you can have a sensor and a lens. That might be a great place for a Lytro camera to sit uh, or to be built into some point-and-shoot cameras and test the markets. But I can't see Lytro releasing a, an updated version of their camera and having much success with it. Interesting. Yeah. Now, Steve, what about you? Like when you're when you're out running around doing Canada Day and that sort of thing, do you ever see is there ever a situation where you're where you're thinking like you smack yourself in the head and you're like wow if i could just <laughs> if i could just focus later you know i mean is yeah. that, i'm saying that tongue in cheek cuz you know yeah. the technology is much I think more all than that photographers but. sort of have that they would love that fantasy of man i my focus was off or i back focused mm-hmm. can i fix it after the fact it'd be nice to be able to access like if it was a raw image that you call in the secret weapon when necessary but you know for for a lot of us still photographers i mean you know as don was saying i i tend to shoot fairly wide open all the time because I love that out-of-focus bouquet. It's a powerful way to emphasize what it is that, you know, you're focusing on and and in a still photograph it works. But having this technology, certainly um, there's all kinds of specific reasons why you might want to use it and when it does get incorporated into, um, you know, various cameras and video, as they mentioned, um, it could be powerful. But I think a lot of us still... Um, you know, just aren't going to take the time to to play with it. Um, yeah. You know, it's it's, but it's it's totally cool, and and we'll see we'll see where it goes. It's just not something that I feel I'm I'm missing at the moment. Yeah. Now, now, um, Derek, are you uh, are you waiting on Lytro to get acquired by Canon to incorporate that <laughs> technology into your next DSLR? No, I'm not actually. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I'm kind of like the other guys. I, I'm curious as to where it's going to go, and I think it'll be fun to follow it. But actually, for me, one of the most uh, pleasurable parts of photography is at capture, sort of deciding what I'm going to emphasize and deciding what I'm going to de-emphasize. And yeah. I like that part uh, a lot. And there are times, uh, macro photography is one of them, uh, where... Yeah, it'd be nice to be able to extend that uh, 
that depth of field. I, I know how to do that now. It is kind of a pain, but you know we yeah. do know how to do it. But for the most part, no, I, I really enjoy the part right now. Of, I mean, I shoot wide open almost all the time. I mean, I only stop down. I think the only time I stopped down at the barbecues when I had group shots with a little bit of depth to right, them. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. just to make sure that everyone was in focus. But other than that, and even then, it was like five, six or something. Yeah. Can you guys imagine a future where, you know, every picture you take, you load it into your Aperture Lightroom, your RAW file, and then from there, you can choose to see that image at 2.8, 1.4, 5.6, 8, 11. You can take your cursor and point it at a face and have that sharp at 2.8. I mean, you know, this is where this technology in the future you know, maybe that's where it's going. I mean, you know, in the end, still, uh, as as much as you'd be able to do if that fantasy ever came to be, you still have to be the, the, the eye behind it. You still have to have the point of view. You still have to have something to say with your photography. Yeah. So I think a lot of us are, you know, I think when autofocus first came out, the sports photographers were going, hey, I, it took me years to develop my skill, yet, as we've said before, you know, those guys, you know, embraced autofocus and still rose above the crowd just because of you know how they shot and what they saw yeah it kind of a lot of people think like i was saying you know kind of tongue-in-cheek before that you know lytro is going to get acquired by a larger company who will then incorporate their technology into their products but i think the more i think about it the more i play around with lytro images online seems that there's a plug-in component to it right so in order to see a lytro image at least today you have to have the, the plugin has to be loaded i don't know if it's java or whatever but it has to be loaded then you can do the individual focus point clicks so what i was thinking as i thought through this like wouldn't it make sense for someone like an a stock agency like iStock photo for example to incorporate that technology into their site so that you can buy an image and then before you purchase it select where the focus point is and then buy that version of the image. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I need a portrait with an, a portrait with an out of focus background. You know, you click that, or I need a I need the background in focus and a fuzzy person in the foreground. You can download that rendering of the image. That way, they could get more money out of each shot, right? There you go. There. <laughs> I'm just thinking. You know, I'm always thinking about this stuff. What can I say? Yeah, photographs. What's that? Go ahead, Don. I was going to say, when I first saw the Lytro photographs with that uh, system where you can adjust the focus afterwards, I thought to myself, you know, I don't want people changing the focus of my photographs. Mm. I mean, that's something that I want to do in editing before I send it out to the web and and have that as a flat image where people can't change. I think that's uh, sort of going in the wrong direction. As an artist, I I don't want people to control that because it's, it's going to be what I want it to be. Right, right. But if you were shooting specifically for stock... Then you would just you would shift like if if it meant that you would make you know an extra ten dollars a week on a particular image if they could change the focal point would you would you allow that I, I would but I would also say that I can do that on on my end and upload two different photographs if, if two yeah. are more pleasing than the other and I can handle that and post myself so I think that that component of Lightro needs to be uh, added into Lightroom or Aperture or similar programs and handled by the photographer themselves. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the gigapan or, you know, the panoramic photography that we often see online. Extremely cool, but a little bit limited in terms of, you know, how you can present it at this point. Yeah. yeah all, 
this new stuff that comes out, just every time I see it, it just makes me feel older because I'm like, eh. <laughs> you know, I don't need that stuff. <laughs> Give me an F stop and a shutter speed. I'm good to go. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, all this technology, computers, who needs it? <laughs> all right, speaking of technology and computers, um, we're going to talk about Apple because they're, they're about to launch um, the next version of OS X, Mountain Lion, hopefully in a couple days here. Um, but before we jump into that, Derek Story had got his hands on, you got the 15-inch retina. Well, it's only 15-inch, right? Yes, yes it is. How do you, yes. Did you get it decked out and loaded? And I did, I bought the stock one. Oh. I bought, I bought uh, the 2199 Retina display, eight, 8 gigabytes of RAM and uh, 256 gigabytes what was SSD. What was your justification for getting that? Because it's not like you needed that computer, Derek. Well, uh, so it's kind of funny, actually. I'll do the very, very short version. So I was waiting for the MacBook Airs because mine... Mine needs to be upgraded. I have kind of an older one, and I and I really like them a lot. So I was waiting for the, the MacBook Airs, which were also announced. And uh, I was all I kind of putting the numbers together on the air to get the way that I wanted, and kept looking at the Retina display, kept looking at the Retina display, and uh, the numbers weren't that far apart, in all honesty, from the stock Retina display. And uh, I just go, you know, my MacBook Air, I think, will hang in there a bit longer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, because- how does it feel, Derek, compared to the Air? Is it is it not that much bigger, right? Well, it's funny. It's it's not that much. It's about the same thickness. Uh, you know, at you know, at the Air at its thickest point is about the same as the 15 inch, but the 15 inch is definitely a bigger computer. I mean, that's the first thing that I notice. It is. It does weigh more, and it is bigger. But for a 15-inch computer, it's amazing, you know. So, yeah, so if you compare it to other 15 inches, it's it's wonderful. If you compare it to the airs, the airs are still, in, in my opinion, much lighter and much um, you know much thinner. They go in smaller spots. Yeah. But the problem I'm having is is going back and forth because if I work two hours on the retina display everything else after that is just doesn't look right no. <laughs> really it's it, it it's very different and i think for photographers in general we're more sensitive to the what the retina display you know brings to the table uh, and i think for photographers it's it's very noticeable yeah all right well so so buying advice for me derek should i rush out and get my my 15 inch right now well, you know, it's it's. I've heard a lot of discussion, and, and people are saying, "Well, you know, this is the first of you're looking at the future of Mac laptops with this 15 inch Retina display. Yeah. They're, they're going to get better. You know, they're they're going to get refined. So if you don't need a laptop right now, uh, you might want to sit tight and wait for the next generation because it'll. The for one thing, you'll probably be able to get a bigger SSD drive for the same price in the next generation, which would be cool. Yeah. So if you don't need it right now, uh, just don't look at one, and you'll be fine. Yeah. All right. Well, Derek, I'm going to continue with you because I know you you might know a little bit about uh, Mac OS X <laughs> Mountain Lion. I'm not yeah. going to say officially if you do or not. Um, so it's due in a couple days. What it's supposed to have on it, as per Apple's website, is desktop and laptop mirroring to the Apple TV using AirPlay, which is the feature, honestly, that I'm waiting for. I need that. Almost every single day, <laughs> you know, yeah. sitting on in the living room with my air and a big HD thing sitting on the wall. Wouldn't it be great to just be able to say, "Yeah, put this video over there and keep working"? That am I am I alone here? That just seems like that's a killer feature. You are not alone. 
You're not alone at all. For for us, as, I mean, you know what I think. What Mountain Lion is really is is another step towards the iOSing of OS ten, right? I mean, a lot of the features really are bringing what we're what we're used to, like notifications, stuff like that, uh, to our Mac, and it's wonderful. I love it. But for photographers, the I think the big thing is AirPlay mirroring, mm-hmm. and uh, if you have an Apple TV, which I mean, if you if you don't have an Apple TV, I think you're missing out on a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, in all honesty, and uh, I use it for all sorts of stuff, movies, everything. But uh, with Apple TV and uh, Mountain Lion, uh, suddenly now anything that's on your screen, you can just send right over uh, to your HD TV, showing vacation pictures, watching movies, uh, even, you know, working as a group on a project, you know, it could be something in numbers. And, uh, you know, so I just think, uh, that this is, is really fun and it's, it's a big feature for me too. I love it. I love it. Steve, are you, uh, are you in that world? Do you care about this Apple TV stuff? Um, yeah, I kind of do. I mean, I, I like the idea of the possibilities in terms of presentation, um, allowing you more flexibility uh, because usually, you know, if you don't want to bring your projector, there's often a TV that you could easily, seamlessly use. That would be great. Uh, this power nap feature where, you know, the, a lot of stuff is being updated while the uh, computer is napping. So you, mm. you lift it up and boom, you're, you're ready to go while your emails are up to date, et cetera. That's going to be cool. That so, cool. Yeah. I mean, really, uh, you know, generally speaking, I don't think too many of us have been disappointed as OS X just keeps climbing. And now we're at Mountain Lion. I just wonder when they're going to run out of cats. <laughs> yeah, pretty soon they'll be at Calico. And, you know. <laughs> because these of- are pretty, you know, pretty impressive uh, animals and they're going to you know run through them all but i i guess i should uh, you know do some research maybe there's there's plenty to they could go prehistoric there's a lot to choose from on that <laughs> yeah there is uh, you know saber tooth and all that exactly mac yeah, os saber tooth yeah. hey but you know just to piggyback on what steve was saying you know instead of carrying a projector now on the screen really just that little hockey puck of an apple tv in your mm-hmm. laptop bag think about it it's uh that's pretty neat it's just a ca- yeah. yeah, the wireless cable right there. Look at that, Don. What about you? Are you uh, are you waiting with bated breath for this new version of macOS ten to come out? No, I, I use a PC actually. So this so you're is not waiting of, at all. <laughs> no, not waiting at all. <laughs> you uh, but, care? No, you're like, what is this thing? <laughs> I had looked at the, the specs and sort of the um, the improvements over the previous version, and I do notice uh, a lot of improvements towards um, iCloud and integration with uh, iPad and other devices like Apple TV. And it's almost like I, I'm kind of at a crossroads. I have an iPhone and an iPad, but I use a PC. Mm-hmm. So I have to make a decision then, do I buy a Mac or do I buy a Windows 8 tablet and sort of live all within one environment? Because right now, my, my devices don't talk to each other as well as they should. So I, I think I have to make a decision here. Well, have you seen the Surface? I have, and it's it's interesting uh, when it works. But uh, <laughs> are you talking about their demo when it crashed? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and I think that the Surface has been a long time coming, and and I hope that it does get legs. But it needs to have a mass adoption before it becomes useful to anybody. And I think that that's the big problem that Microsoft is going to have going into the future is that if they don't have enough people using it, it's not going to go anywhere. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, I mean, you can say that about everything. But yeah. it's good to see Microsoft marching in that direction, though. I'm, make, I'm excited to see uh, what comes out of them. 
Interesting stuff. All right. This uh, last thing we're going to talk about real quick is Google+. Plus. Um, so a couple of weeks ago, they announced Google Plus events and a new iPad app. So looks like they're, they're pressing forward with things. So let me read down the features of what the Google Plus iPad app has. It says, pinch and expand posts right in your stream and add comments. Use two fingers to drag and reshare posts. You can start a hangout now from your iPad. Um, you can also start a hangout and participate in a hangout from your iPhone as well. Um, and stream it to your TV using airplay. So interesting stuff coming there. Um, you can read about all that stuff on Google, but what I wanted to talk about is I'm getting a lot of feedback from people that are saying, what is Google plus? I'm not using it. I tried it. I walked away. It's a ghost town, which I'm not really getting that experience. I log in and I see a ton of activity there and I'm thinking maybe I'm looking at it because I'm looking at it through photographer lenses. (laughs) I'm seeing a lot of photographer activity and there's no one else there. I don't know. Uh, Derek, what do you think? Is, is Google plus a, a town that's designed specifically for photographers and everyone else, the parties on Facebook? Well, I think photographers uh, are, are still ruling the roost there. Yeah, I, I think it's more interesting for photographers than it might be for other folks. So I think there is something to that. And uh, the iPad uh, app, ha- have you played with it much, Frederick? Uh, no, you know, and to yeah. be honest with you, I still have an iPad 1. An iPad, <laughs> an iPad 1. I'm going out tomorrow to get my new iPad, but I'm okay. sitting here looking at my archaic one right now. Yeah, so it's... It's very different. It surprised me. At, you know, first of all, I was sort of irritated with Google Plus because there wasn't an iPad app, right? It was yeah. just, you know, you just had the like the two X thing, you know, with the iPhone app. Mm-hmm. And so what they really did was they just did something completely different, and it's just sort of this horizontal sweeping uh, thing, you know, when you when you're on home and uh, you're following the people in your circles. And uh, there are times I, I like it when I'm just sort of mindlessly kind of browsing and stuff, but uh, I, I'm still getting used to it. I have to tell you, I, I, I still don't feel super comfy with it. So you don't? Is it? Is that a vote of confidence or a vote of? Eh, I don't know. I think uh, you know. I, I, sometimes I need to use something for a while before uh, I cozy up to it. Yeah. But uh, I, I'm not there yet. You got you got to date it before you put a ring on it. Definitely. <laughs> 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 I had to take it there. You know, I had to yeah. take it there. <laughs> Steve, Steve, what about you? Are you have you yeah. played with the Google Plus app? Uh, no, I've, I've I've played a little with Google Plus, uh, and I'm on there. But you know, again, once I you know get up and running and get serious about my social media, I'm going to determine <laughs> what it is that I'm going to put my efforts in. And Steve. and I think that Google Plus, Facebook, Twitter, um, maybe Flickr, maybe Pinterest, those would be the ones. And, and that's it, I think. And I'll just keep it that way. And if something new comes along, um, maybe I'll drop one and, and add the other. And, and we'll see how it goes. But, no, I think it's great. I think it's great that they have a dedicated iPad app. It sounds pretty cool, but uh, I haven't used it, so I defer to, to you guys. Steve, we'll hear Steve the- my consulting advice for you, unsolicited, is, yes. is to <laughs> hire a assistant to handle your <laughs> handle your social media presences and keep you up to date right, on everything. Right. That way you can just exactly. go out and shoot all the time. You don't have to worry about it. I hear you. No, thanks. Now, what do I owe you for that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don, Don, have you played with this stuff at all? 
I have. I really like the new iPad app, actually. It's done something interesting that uh, I don't think I've seen anybody else do. If you have it in portrait mode, things will scroll up and down. But if you turn it into landscape mode, things will uh, scroll left and right. So it's a little bit more organic that way. Uh, It reminds me a lot of uh, 500 pics and the way that they have their images laid out. uh, And the more popular ones have bigger images and and I just, I, I love how easy it is to just keep scrolling through until you find something interesting and how easy it is to comment and uh, to plus one something. I think that the, the core of, of Google Plus uh, caters very well to photographers and it's very photographer heavy. But I, I look at um, the way that it does circles and just sort of the way it, it's organized and I think it caters to subcultures. And if you're part of a particular subculture, uh, whatever it is, you like to skateboard, you like to take pictures, you like to bird watch, um, then you will find a group of like-minded people on Google Plus if they've adopted it. And I think the adoption has been slow in other areas. Feature uh, Google Plus events can help uh, even that out a little bit by giving some more general appeal to uh, to the whole system. And uh, some people that may have just logged in and abandoned it might come back and see that there's some activity. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's it's a lot. Uh, the, what I tell people that that are counting Google Plus out right now is like, it just started. <laughs> Give them a break, you know. Let them let them get things rolling. Plus, it's got some serious momentum. It's not Facebook, you know. I mean, it, it, Facebook has orders of magnitude more users, but it's moving forward and they're innovating like crazy. So, you know, I'm not I'm not counting Google Plus out now. We'll continue well, to use it. And the thing about it is if you look at it on the latest iPad, you know, the app, uh, the pictures are stunning. I mean, they, they really are. I mean, there are a lot of excellent photographers on Google Plus and, you know, the new app and then the iPad uh, really make those photos look dynamite. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Well, Google's laying the groundwork for Marissa Meyer over at, at, at Yahoo. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Google. <laughs> All right, guys, before we move on, um, I want to talk about one of our sponsors. Uh, This episode of This Week in Photo is sponsored by Squarespace.com. They're the fast and easy way to create a high-quality website or blog. Squarespace.com is... It's easy for creating and managing your online presence because it's it's a cloud-based service where nothing lives on your computer locally. It all lives in the server. You log in with a username and password and build your site right up there. They're offering free domain registration right now for annual plan customer subscriptions. Um, and the whole domain selection and mapping process, you know, tying it to your directory, all that stuff, is completely integrated with the sign-up process. So it makes signing up for a website easier than ever <clears throat> and saves you money, of course, because it's all part of the overall service. And then when you sign up and you decide to cancel the service, the domain is yours to keep. So it's like a no risk. You can try it out and run with it. Now, if you haven't heard of Squarespace.com, they're, like I was saying, they're a cloud-based service for helping you build your online presence. It's optimized for both beginners and people who are familiar with CSS. So if you have a developer that knows how to weave straw from gold um, or gold from straw, with CSS, they can jump right in there and have as much power as they want. If you don't know anything about CSS, you can still build an incredible looking website. You can choose from thousands or hundreds of of design templates and then customize that template to fit your needs. Get it, tweak it so that it's perfect and boom, it's yours. And once you deploy your site, you can update it using your iPhone, your iPad, your Android app. Um, while you're on the go, you can approve and reject comments, all that cool stuff. 
Um, and it is complete now with Google's entire web font library. So they've integrated over 300 fonts into the site. So you can really make your site shine and look typographic. And the cool thing about Squarespace is they've got online support or an online support team that's available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So humans that are there to help you out if you get stuck. So there's a free, they offer free live webinar classes. It just goes on and on and on, all the things that they offer. So give them a try. Um, head over to squarespace.com. You get a free account. You don't even need a credit card. You can sign up, try it out, start building your website. Then if you decide to purchase that website, use the offer code TWIP7, that's T-W-I-P-7, and you'll get 10% off your purchase on new accounts. And don't forget about that free domain registration with annual plan subscriptions. That's squarespace.com with the offer code T-W-I-P-7. Okay, guys, before we continue with the show, I want to uh, insert this very special interview that I did. I actually did this interview as a Google Plus Hangout with Mr. Dane Sanders. You get to hear the interview in This Week in Photo. Here you go. I am here with Mr. Dane Sanders. Um, many of you may have heard of him before, but for those of you who haven't, Dane, we're going to get into who Dane is and what his story is, but suffice to say, Dane is a phenomenal photographer. He's an educator. He's an author. He's a dad. He's all kinds of crazy stuff. Um, and he's going to share some interesting things with us today. I'm going to pick his brain about how he got started um, and maybe get into some words of wisdom for photographers looking to get better at what they do, keep inspired, and that sort of thing. So, Dane, welcome. Thanks a lot, Frederick. It's great to be here. It's good to have you. Like We were talking before, before I clicked the Start Broadcast button here in the Hangout that I actually interviewed you before uh, mm -hmm. for This Week in Photo a long time ago, back, if it seems like it was yesterday, but it was a long time ago. Uh, this is back when Pixelcore, the company that actually housed, that, that hosts this stuff, um, was in San Francisco. Now they're in Petaluma, and, and you know, you're now famous, you're a rock star now. <laughs> no, take, take that word away. That's a bad word. You are a rock star. You got nope. a logo. I see the logo back there. Yeah. I don't remember that before. So <laughs> let, let's start with, for the folks who may not have heard of Dane Sanders, who is Dane Sanders sure. and, um, and what are you bringing to the photography community? Well, I appreciate that question. Um, I am a, a regular uh, nobody, just like everybody else in the industry. Uh, Humble. There, there's a – well, there's – you know, there – it's one thing to uh, to have people know who you are. You show up at an event and people know your name, and that, it is kind of fun. It's cool, but at the end of the day, um, we're still photographers doing photo work, and uh, the value of what we do is in the results that we create. And, um, and well, I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk a lot about a lot of different things today. But if I were to kind of give the shorthand version of my journey, I jumped into the photo game pretty late in life. I was in my early 30s, and uh, was just it was well it was about a decade ago so just at the as as digital was really taking off mm -hmm. and there was still some question back in that day about whether or not digital was going to make it compared to film and well I, remember I, think, that, yeah. I think we're clear um, yeah. on that one but um, I, I I wasn't one of those guys who started really young and you know grew up and went through the usual channels I was one of those backwards guys who came in late and uh, although I started in film it was very brief and then quickly made the jump to digital. Um, and 
wanted to make a contribution to this industry. It's a it's a blue collar industry in many ways. We 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 are what we create together, mm-hmm. and uh, having not not knowing what to contribute as a beginner, um, beginning pro, I, I I just did what I knew best to do, which was create stuff and and put it online. And uh, unbeknownst to me, I created uh, some cool. I thought they were fun, kind of fun, these little video podcasts that no one had really done before in the video world for photographers yet. And um, unbeknownst to me, it was a cool contribution. And because of that, and because back in those days, there weren't a ton of great video resources on the planet like there are now, it stood out a little bit. And as a result, I had a chance to get to know some people uh, that have are heroes of mine and that they've had a pretty significant influence on me. And so I feel, I feel very fortunate and an unlikely suspect to, to be even in this conversation, but um, started shooting back then, really was a part-time gig, at, had a full-time job teaching, I was teaching at a liberal arts school, and uh, as that evolved, eventually I ended up uh, representing some companies, and I ended up writing a book, self-publishing it, and then I got a call from uh, Amphoto Random House, and they wanted me to do a two-book deal, and I did those in 2010, and probably the thing I'm most excited about in the photo community is really the um, this better together community that we've been growing over the last couple of years. We have you know two three thousand plus people meeting every month in person who believe that we're actually better together than in isolation, and that really is in, in line with my heart for our industry. And what, what I know what you're about uh, over over with this weekend for photo is this idea that there's so much to do uh, just with the craft of photography, but to do it in concert with other colleagues who are really you might be competitors, but we're sharing resources in such a way that creativity becomes the trump card, and that's the piece that wins. And um, in that regard, we can all, in a signature way, win uniquely. And uh, when we create things that are out of who we are, so uh, having a chance to have a thumbprint on that community is something I'm really proud of. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, back to what you were talking about in the beginning. I think the your the podcast that you kicked off initially was called Dane's Photo Minute. Right. Uh, it was actually called the Simple Photo Minute, and the it was Simple Photo simple, Minute. But yes. it was never simple, and it was never a minute. Uh, yes, I, yes. Get that wrong. But it was awesome. I remember it was just like really concise tips and inspirational. And I think you know, and that's what interested me in getting into this stuff. You know, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, it was one of those. I mean, I would I wouldn't say early podcast because it's not old. It was just like you were definitely a pioneer in the space right. and sort of forward thinking. And you're still doing that. I mean, you're you're doing your own hangouts. You're you're tweeting. You're, I mean, you continue to surf the wave at what, on on what's new in in terms of innovative ways to get the word out about your business or service. So in in your let's start there. In your you say about ten years ago or so yeah. is when you sort of both feet jumped into this this industry yep. over that window like if you could you know look back from when you first sort of sat down maybe with your wife and you're like hey honey I want to do this uh, to now what if, what would you say has changed like mm-hmm. both in the industry generally speaking and the way we do things and in you as a person well gosh those are really distinct questions and I appreciate both of them uh, the industry it's funny I, I used to think a lot was changing and the older I get, the more I realize it doesn't seem like a lot is changing, actually. Um, okay. When I first got in and I did the video podcast, I remember I got a lot of grief from people who on forums um, that said, why are you putting video up? You should be typing. And like They, they were upset that I was, wasn't putting type posts up. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, everyone's doing that. I wanted to do something kind of unique. And, and now everyone is doing video, and, <laughs> and it's good. But it requires a sense of 
um, well, I guess what's common back then and now is there's an ecosystem where there are folks who believe in a worldview that is helpful to support each other. There's another one that says no. Uh, other people in the market, it's scary. And mm -hmm. I appreciate the fear. Honestly, it's a tough market to be in. Um, but as I've kind of watched it, people have just traded new ways to complain or new ways to support. And yeah. that, that's been exciting to watch, actually, because the tools to support, it's pretty evident to me that the folks who are supporting, um, they're the ones that seem to be creating the most value, uh, not only for our clients as photographers, but for our community and industry. And there's so many cool creative things going on right now. I'm just, I'm amazed. Like one of the guys I know that you've had on and, and know very well is uh, Trey Ratcliffe. Mm -hmm. And Trey's someone who, gosh, what an odd duck to come into the photo industry the way that he did and to make such a massive imprint uh, globally from a very unique style that not everyone loves. But those who do, they look at him and they go, wow, he does it kind of better than anybody else, yeah. and or arguably so. And he's made a, a significant contribution from a very unique perspective. And I look at guys like Trey and I go, there, there's a lot of room for more of those people. But Trey would be first in line to say, you know, a lot of folks contributed to his success and what he learned and what was available to him and the tools and the equipment. And I think that's the good news. I think... Uh, I think the photo industry is split into two groups. It's either bad news or good news mm -hmm. and, and the era that we're in. And I think the era that we're in is the era we're in, whether we like it or not. And you can get constructive with it or destructive with it. And that is happening, and that was happening back then, and that's happening now. Yeah. Um, I think that the only thing I would say that's new is the amount of powerful tools we have available to create with. And that's really very exciting. Yeah, yeah. To go back to what you said about about the video and versus text, I agree with that wholeheartedly. It's like, you know, you could say so much and emote so much with video that, I mean, it, you could you could kind of get there with text if you're you're a, a an awesome sort of prose writer, get people you know tug at the heart, but you yeah. could get so much done with just a mannerism or a wink or whatever with That's video right. than you can with text. And video has become such so much more friction free than it was in the beginning. In the oh beginning you needed all kinds of hardware and skill and all this stuff. Today I click a button and you and I are doing well, a, an interview that yeah, used, well, to really be, this used right. to be restricted to CNN doing this kind of thing, right? It's radical. And it's funny because CNN uses it. I mean, the, both, you know, the Skype, even Skype was a radical jump, but Google Plus, I actually think is a, a whole new day yeah. um, of possibility. And, and the fact that we're, we can even broadcast live right now and then, and then have the, the plugging it into such a massive platform like YouTube, uh, it's, it's extraordinary that, yeah. that that's available. Um, you know, you did ask one other question. I just want to give it two seconds on. Yes. You asked me yep. what shifted for me in the last decade, and um, I need to say this because it's. I think there's there's some confusion uh, in the industry about me in this regard. I, I've learned a ton. It's been a very humbling experience to to be uh, around folks. When I when I first got in, I was pretty cavalier because it seemed like everybody could do everything easily, yeah. uh, and because so much opened up for me so quickly, and over time. I've come to get to know a lot of really remarkable photographers who've been at this for a while, who I have deep esteem for, who've ch been challenged and really struggled in these transitions. Yeah. And I think what's happened for me more than anything is just an, a development of the appreciation for the craft and for what this work really means for people. And um, I'm a little less quick to, uh, to make assertions now than I was early on. And I, I'm, I'm grateful for that. It's kind of nice to not be the new guy who's just 
um, taking shots or, or saying ideas because uh, now I think I know a little bit more about what I'm doing both in business uh, with my clients, with my with my camera, uh, and in our community. And I'm grateful for that. Um, I feel way less flashy, but far more um, uh, the stuff that I say I feel like is is more in line with reality and I think is more of a, a help to photographers. So I, I'm grateful for my own maturation process. It's, it's been nice, but it's also been, been challenging at times too. I hear you. I hear you. I'm in, I'm in the same boat and it, uh, yeah, it may be a slightly different boat, but my, uh, my learning process has revealed that, I mean, in a lot of ways we don't know anything. I mean, there's so much, there's so much stuff in the world of photography to learn, it's like a, I don't know, it's like a Darwinian tree that's like, you know, all these different branches of all these different things that you could learn and you could never get, you could never be expert. You know, I think in a lot of ways we're practicing photographers and marketers because right. we'll, you'll never master this stuff, you know, and not that you want to because everything changes all the time, but it's, it's just a... Uh, it's a never-ending sort of well of stuff and excitement that you can pull out of, both on the marketing and the photography side. Yeah, well, I, you're right. And I, I think that the, the idea of, of um, I, I really like how you put that, because if I've decided I've, I know something, I've stopped learning anything. But if I keep that learner's posture on all the while, and, I, and I've changed the goal from mastery to cu curiosity, mm -hmm. man, those folks... All my favorite photographers are curious. They 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 keep pushing the threshold further, uh, and they don't claim to know. They claim to be committed uh, to discovering. And man, I, I know for me, as I've kind of bought into that mantra, it's it's really shifted gears for me and and opened up things like I never really thought of myself as an artist or a creative, um, and to actually entertain that not based on what I'm asserting, but like looking at work and saying, wow, that's, that's remarkably better than it used to be. And if that's a better measuring stick, man, we can actually have personal bests and support each other. And I, I'm just a big fan of that. I think there's a lot of room for creativity more than ever. And um, the folks who get behind that idea, I think, are going to be the ones who are going to be most gratified and find meaning in their work. I, I totally agree. So, Dane, talk to me about Fast Track Photographer. What, sure. what, is, what is that brand, and, and take me well, through why you create it. My not-so-subtle uh, product placement. <laughs> I didn't uh, notice that. Oh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. Thank you. I hadn't seen that back there. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so uh, back in uh, 2009-10, I wrote uh, Fast Track Photographer, and it was meant to be – well, Seth Godin called it a photography book that's not about photography, and he's right. It's about the photographer, and the book was meant to be um, a treatise on how, how does one develop the, the creative behind the camera, not just the skill with the camera, because there's so many fantastic resources on how to learn how to take a picture, and I felt like, again, if I was going to make a unique contribution, what could I contribute from? And my background was I taught leadership and character development, so this, this kind of fit my wheelhouse. It was around identity, and how do you take responsibility for what you're doing from the unique resource that you are as a person and, and how you can play that out with the craft. So that's what I created, and there's a little test inside there called the Photographer DNA or PDNA, yep. and it's meant to give kind of a strengths-based test on you know, where, how can you leverage what you're good at um, in the as a photographer, specifically a professional photographer. And then in the second book, uh, which is called the Fast Track Photographer Business Plan, it's meant to be part two. So once you're clear on who you are and you have a, a sense of your strengths, Part two is we'll get a vision and a plan to execute. And uh, in there, there's a second assessment test. That's called the business stress test. 
and that's meant to um, give you a one-time snapshot that you can take at any time, uh, and I hope you take it all the time. Uh, <laughs> but uh, these tests that, that give you a sense of where you stand across a number of metrics so that you can know um, your current reality relative to where you want to go with your business. Now, are the, are the books targeted at any specific genre of photographer, like wedding? Or Great is it question. Yeah, well, when I first self-published it, it was in weddings because that's all I knew. And when Random asked me to write the two books, rewrite the first one and then write a new one, um, they said, could you write this for all audiences? And at first I thought, yeah, no problem. Again, naive to the nuance and reality. There's so many radical differences between these different fields. Like a commercial shooter's process with an art director is very different mm-hmm. than, a, than a consumer-facing uh, portrait photographer trying to get a family to, to take their, if you can take their picture. Um, so that, that the second book in particular was very challenging to try to articulate um, clear principles and, and um, a roadmap for building out your business that, were, that was universal. And uh, thankfully, I had some good readers who helped kept me honest and, yeah. uh, in multiple genres and affirmed that the, the roadmap, I think, makes a lot of sense. Uh, but it's meant to be written for all all genres. But the the one thing that I think I I've really come to believe, especially since writing the books, is reading a book or going to a workshop or experiencing anything online. It's not actually. It feels like you're doing something when you read a book, or you, but you're not actually doing anything relative to yeah. your business. You're learning, and then the execution. That's everything. So when you read the book, what are you going to go do with it? Uh, and for people to plan in advance, like I'm going to go go to take this workshop so that I can go and do something new. Yes. Those are the smart photographers. Um, the ones who who kind of go from learning experience to learning experience to learning experience and don't do the hard work of actually putting it to practice. I think those folks they find themselves in a tough spot because yeah. their 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 competition, even if they don't go to those workshops, they are working and implementing all the time. And that's what you're up against. So uh, the biggest learning I had in writing those books was really, I hope they're serious co- contributions, but they're really just meant to set the starting line for you to go get to work from there. Yeah, I, I love that. It, you know, and I, I talk about that a lot, too, uh, when, I, when I talk to photographers. It's kind of the analogy I, throw, I, I draw is kind of like uh, it's like firewood. You know, like each thing that you learn is like a, you're a Cub Scout or a Boy Scout, and you're, you want to build a fire. So you got to go out and search for all the wood, and you start piling it up, right? So you now you've gone to this workshop, you bought this book, you've downloaded this thing, lynda.com, all this stuff. Now you got this big pile of wood. It takes the person that lights the fire, which takes action, you know. You actually burn the fuel to create the heat, which is money, right? You know, if you, if you just keep piling it up, you have a wonderful pile of wood. But and no spark. That's and, it. And no spark, and there's nothing burning that to create the thing that you're ultimately after, which is the heat, right? Yeah. It's a great metaphor because you, gotta, you also have to keep piling the wood on. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, the people I, I'm a big believer in that enthusiasm covers a multitude of sins. The people that work harder, they tend to be the ones that they generate the most heat. Like mm-hmm. they, they tend to get after it, and yep. I think that's the opportunity in this age. It's the age of the enthusiast. If you can work harder, faster, quicker, stronger, and there's never been more tools available to do that with now. Mm-hmm. Uh, those folks they emerge, and I get why the uh, the folks who used to be emerging get upset with them. Um, when that happens, but honestly, I think it's because those folks are 
are are working us when that that's, that's been happening for ages though. Well, you know, the same the same discussion could have been had back when they were saying oh man those those wheeled buggies you know they're the, the the horses are much better than those wheeled buggies and oh, now they put an engine on it oh come on that's not you know fair. <laughs> that's not fair you're cheating you're cheating come on <laughs> That's yeah. True. So yeah, I got two more questions for you, Dane. The, yeah. the the first one is it's about just sort of personal branding, right? Mm-hmm. So you built a fantastic brand, you know, from the beginning in a short amount of time. You said you've been doing this for ten years, but I remember in the beginning when you first started doing this stuff, your your brand was on fire and continues to be on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah, I know you say there's a certain amount of things that were just sort of serendipity, like the you know you hit it at the right time with with the simple photo minute and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But if you could distill it down to somebody that's watching this and they're like, okay, I I may not be able to replicate a Dane Sanders or a Trey Radcliffe in terms of getting my brand out there, but I want to start moving in that direction. What would you what advice would you give them? Well, first off, I don't hold a candle to Trey Radcliffe, <laughs> uh, uh, so to be clear, but um, I think that. And nor should I. And I, I love how you put, like, to not emulate after anyone is probably the smartest move anyone could make, uh, although you can learn a lot. I learn a lot from Trey. I learn a lot from Jeremy Cowart. I learn a lot mm-hmm. from you. I learn a lot from a lot of folks um, about how to honestly and with integrity put you out into the marketplace in a way that is accessible so that the people who want to connect with you give you permission to be in their life. Yep. And, you know, someone who's had a, a massive influence on me, it's, it's no surprise, is Seth Godin. And... He he's he wrote the seminal work on it, permission marketing, mm-hmm. on on how to build relationships with a tribe, drip drip drip, one at a time over a long period of time. And if I had set out to try to get a bunch of followers or whatever, I think I would have failed pretty miserably. Um, but thankfully, I had voices in my head like Seth's um, before I even met him um, that were saying things like, you know, this is the era where you you have to really honor humans as humans and put yourself out as a human. And guess what? It may not be the whole planet will follow you, but the people who resonate with you uniquely, they will. And you can just trust it. And that's why you hear the real experts, I think, who, who have, maybe they have massive, I think of guys like Chris Brogan who have like hundreds of thousands, if not millions of followers. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll say like, yeah, the numbers really don't matter. Even Scoble will talk about that. Like it, having huge numbers, it's really the, the quality of the listener and the participant and, and your tribe. How, what kind of a culture are you building around the folks that are giving you the privilege of yep. being in their life? And I, I think the, soon, the more I learn that and really take that on and really respect the people I have a chance to work with and, and talk with and engage, the more I think they appreciate it. I know I appreciate it with all the people that I follow. And um, I think if I was going to give any advice, I would say, look, take it seriously. It's a, it's a really remarkable opportunity. You can develop a, a, a tribe of people around a particular idea, but make sure your idea is clear and make sure that you're telling it honestly so that the, the, the people can find resonance. But the good news is the tools, will ne- they're, they're getting so powerful now to reach so many people. Um, and then you get some lucky breaks along the way and things open up. So yeah. I, I don't know. I, I'm always surprised and uh, humbled and uh, and stoked. And, and sometimes I also am like, why aren't more people paying attention, uh, if mm-hmm. I'm honest? So yeah. I think yeah. being patient with it is also a big part of the process. Yeah, it's like, um, it, it reminds me, you know, I, I'm like you. I'm a, 
I'm addicted to learning and sort of absorbing new things. And like, oh, that's interesting. Look what Dane's doing. Oh, look what oh, yeah. Joe McNally's doing this. Oh, look at you know all this stuff. It's it's you never stop learning and getting new ideas and inspiration and all that. And one of the things that I you know I take away from you know we're heading into an election season, right? So that's right. So is just looking at these politicians and how they position themselves and more specifically the stump speech, you know, the whole idea of the stump speech and how they whittle their messages down to just a couple of nuggets and then they hit you with them over and over. You know, you hear the same messages. You like, you go see a politician speak live and you hear the same little anecdotes and jokes and references to Annie and, you know, all this stuff. And then you see the commercial and there it is again. You see them on the convention floor. There it is again, you know. Same thing for us. All they're doing is marketing. It's the same thing for us. You know, for for marketers and photographers, it's what is your stump speech? You know, what 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 is that story that you tell over and over and over again with the emotion in the right spot and all that, just so that people know. Not that you're being disingenuous or something, right. but it's just so that people can get in their heads what you're about. You know, and when they think of Joe, they think of this kind of marketing and this kind of photography, that kind of thing, right? Well, you hit it on the head on both fronts. I mean, on the one hand, you, the moment you're dishonest, uh, you're, in a, you're in a bad place. Yeah. Uh, and it's not that you can't recover from a, from a gaffe or a, a whoops, but if, if your habit is to be dishonest, uh, uh, then it's a fail. It won't work in the Internet age. It's not sustainable. Uh, yeah. It's not. It's not sustainable. Uh, but the other side of it that I think you really hit it on is the word positioning. I mean, I think if there's ever, if probably the biggest mistake I've ever made is I, like I'm a generalist, so I end up broadcasting a lot of different information, like pieces of information, in a bunch of different directions. People are like, well, how do you peg this guy? And I think the folks that seem to um, get a remarkably large following very quickly, like I think of guys like Gary Vaynerchuk and. Uh, these this, just phenomenons. Like, how does a non-celebrity get a million followers on Twitter? Uh, well, what they do is they have a singular message, and they're crazy consistent with it, and it comes from their gut. Mm-hmm. And that's Gary Vaynerchuk in a heartbeat. Uh, yep. and with I some think, personality sprinkled in there, because Gary Gary has an out there personality. He's he like does. And he, on and top he, of it, on fire all the time. And he puts people off too. Like he cusses way too much. And yeah. like there's there's a lot of things that. You, you you know if you don't like him, you know if you like him. But I tell you this, I respect the guy because he works harder than anybody else I know mm-hmm. uh, in the internet space. And he he also um, he drinks his own Kool Aid a little bit. But besides that, he's so focused on what he's communicating. Uh, it's just it's if you care about wine, you're gonna pay attention to Gary Vee, mm-hmm. even if you don't like him. And mm-hmm. I think that there's uh, there's a, a big lesson for us to be learning in that. Like if you can find your like a guy, a photographer, for example, that I really appreciate right now, is uh, is Mike Larson. And I think of Mike Larson and how he is from a marketing position dec- decided I'm gonna be the um, the estate and wine wedding photographer. Uh, so vineyard wedding photographer. So if so, he wants to for everyone to know, like all of his communication, all of his branding, all so consistent. People land there all the time, and um, I think people who try to be the everybody photographer, it's going to be tough to know how to where do you fit in their world. Yeah. Um, and I, 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 I'm I'm definitely taking lessons from folks who are are refined and making it easy for people to connect. And I think I that's think. what you're, you know what you're saying about the politicians. There's a lot of things to say negatively about politicians, but they sure work hard at finding a, posi- a, a, a stump to stand on. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, my my last question for you, Dane, is just just sort of a like zoom out and take a, a broad view of things. Sure. Um, the flow, like it, you know, for lots of professions out there, there's a you know you start as a beginner and you move up to an apprentice and you do this and then one day you get to this level and you've made it, right? So like in medicine or you know you know there's a clear path of ascension to get to what the holy grail of that particular profession is. In photography, is there a path of ascension like that? Is like, okay, you, you begin, you're a beginner, you just walk around doing photo walks, taking pictures of, of uh, you know, ladybugs and that kind of thing, and then you move on, and now you're a wedding photographer, then you move on from that, and now you're a speaker, then you move on from that, and you write a book, then you move on from that. And, you know, is there a, path, a clear path of ascension? I don't think so. I mean, I think there there used to be. I think there used to be. You know, if you want to be a journalist, you you work for the school paper, and then you go get a degree, yeah, and then yeah. you become an apprentice, and you work your way up, and you basically get a staff writer. But now there's no staff writer job or staff shooter jobs anymore. So uh, I think it's it's not that kind of hierarchical model anymore. I think it's more personal best rather than ranking against others. And um, I I also get the sense that that attitude of like like I think of physicians, for example, there's a lot of doctors who are out of work right now, even though they have they've ascended, they got the credentials, and right. the credentialing system doesn't isn't enough anymore. It's credentialing plus, uh, and I'm that plus part I think is what is the differentiator between everybody else and what and the standouts. Mm-hmm. Uh, it reminds me of that episode in West Wing when somebody was bragging of, like, I got a law degree from Harvard, and he goes, you realize everyone in the room got a law degree from Harvard? Like, that's, that's the standard. Like, you know how to take a picture? Got it. Now what? Uh, yeah. And I think that now what? There's never been more opportunity than now, and in a sense, it's never been challenging. And what you focus on in those two prongs of are we in the worst time in the world or the best time in the world, this is, you know, to quote Seth Godin again, this is the best chance you got. Yeah. Uh, and what are you going to do with that plus part in never being satisfied to push the threshold of what you're willing to create? And I think the folks who do that, they're going to win. Yeah, it's like like the you remember the movie, the animated Pixar movie, The Incredibles. Of course, yes. The one line in there where the uh, the villain says he wanted to make everybody super. Syndrome, syndrome, right? Syndrome, syndrome wanted to make everyone super so that when everyone's super. No one's super. So when, when everybody is a photographer, no one's a photographer, right? So now you have to peek up above that waterline that's created. Everyone has an iPhone, can take a really good shot and post it online. Yeah. How are you different? You know, how do you differentiate yourself from the rest of the superheroes on the planet? And that, that is great because it's not about superhero anymore. It's about incredible. And yes. the, yep. become an incredible is really about your signature DNA and your, your courage, really, to put it out there in the face of everyone else being out there and knowing that you're not going to, not everyone's going to like your deal. They're going to turn the channel when they don't like you. They might even attack you and say you're bad. Yeah. And I say, well, if you're your best shot, take a gamble on you. Do the hard work. And I, I don't want to minimize. Like, you got to be a super first. Like, there is a lot of work to be done. I don't want, I've understated that in the past, and, I, and that's to my, uh, discredit, but I, I think now I, I'm firmly of the belief that not only do you have to be fantastic at marketing and fantastic with your camera uh, and fantastically respectful of all of the different nuance that goes into creating, whether it's with a camera or any tool that you have in your hand, you have to do that in a way that's uniquely you. And I think that last part is the part that I feel like it's most neglected and is the biggest opportunity when people take advantage of it. 
That's awesome. See, Dane, you and I could talk for hours. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Every time we, we hang out like this, we just, I, you know, I feel like there's like, I have a list of questions that I want to ask you, so I have to cut myself off, so I'm respectful of that. your time. No problem. Um, so where where would you like folks to go to to learn more about the stuff that you're teaching and see your work and all that kind of stuff? Well, I, I appreciate the question. I'm, I'm I'm easily found. You know, a quick Dane Sanders in the Google. Uh, you can you can find different stuff. Um, I think that the uh, on Facebook we have these Better Together groups that are meeting all over the place. It's free. It's a great resource. I do this podcast every Tuesday afternoon called Fast Track Coaching. You can just go to blog that fasttrackphotographer.com. It's a great place to check out on a, a lot of fun interviews. But honestly, I, I would look at other places too. I think I think places like Twip is fantastic resource. I think all of, like what you mentioned Lynda.com earlier. I'm such a fan of Linda and and what they do over there. Um, I look at. Uh, yeah, stuff like Creative Live and these different places. Uh, there's just so many great resources. I guess the only thing I would say is, in addition to the resources, just to have a, a clear sense of why you're going to these places. If you're even now watching this interview and going like, how did I get here and where did the last half day go? <laughs> it might be worth a pause to go, you don't get that half day back. Go implement in a direction that's helpful. And if these resources are great, like, good. Th this interview should be 15 minutes because you have to go back to work and get some stuff done. Um, and I think the more people that put their emphasis on getting a little bit of what they need so they can go do the hard work, they're the ones that are going to win. So I, I'd encourage that. But if you want to hang out and connect, I'd, I'd love it. Just Dane Sanders pretty much everywhere. Very cool. Dane, you know, thanks again. This has been... We got it. We got it. We got to just hang out all the time. All the time, like every week. Dana Fredrickson, count on it. I'm a big fan. No problem. This is great. Thank you. Thank you so much for taking the time today out of your Friday to to hang out and let me bend your ear. It's been, as always, educational and inspirational. So uh, yeah, have a have a good rest of your day and have a great weekend. Thanks, Frederick. You too. Okay. Take care. Bye bye. All right, you can learn more about Dane by visiting his website at Dane Sanders. Dot com. All right, folks, it's time for some listener Q&A. This is the segment where our guests, that's you guys, answer questions that have come in via our online presences. The first question is from listener Mark Lowe. He says, uh, let's see, let me get to the crux of this. He says, why do DSLRs limit the lowest ISO setting to around 100? There's so much fuss around high ISOs, but what about improving image quality by dialing down the ISO to, say, 5 or 10? He wants to know if this is a limitation with the processor and software, and if so, why? He, uh, he would like at least a Kodachrome 25 moment on his DSLR. <laughs> Uh, Derek, what do you think about that? I, that's a very valid question. Everybody wants to go high, 25,500 ISO, all this crazy stuff. But what about going lower and doing slow shutter speeds? I, I'm, not sure that, uh, I'm not sure that the logic holds up, to tell you the truth, that uh, I think uh, all sensors and processors and everything, they all have sort of an ideal ISO, ISO where they get the best quality. And it's usually not super low. Sometimes, like on some Canon cameras, it, it's around 200 right. or so. Right. So uh, I think, you know, I, I'm not sure that the what we knew in the film world necessarily applies to the digital world uh, quite the same way. So... Uh, 
you know, I, I, and I don't know for sure. I'm just, I'm just sort of applying what I know. So uh, I don't think it, it quite works that way. Is yeah. I think this is a short answer. <laughs> yeah, Don. Don, what about you? Do you do you have any insight into that and why we don't go down the ladder on ISOs and why we're always improving and get, going higher? Well, I have an idea here. Uh, I think it has to do with um, when you're talking about film, that the lower the ISO in the film goes, uh, generally the the finer the grain of that film becomes, which you can, uh, I guess, in terms of digital, compare that to resolution and not to noise. So I think that the, um, the, the benefit that you would see from going to a lower ISO than, say, 100, which is about the base level in most cameras... Um, it would be an increase in resolution. But mm-hmm. that's not true because the digital SLRs have a set resolution. Right. They're as good as they're going to get at, say, that ISO 100 where there is no noise. So there's no benefit in going to a, a lower ISO than that. Yeah, you're not squeezing those the, the, the pixels closer together, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and on film, like you're saying, <clears throat> the, the light-sensitive... Uh, silver halides in there they're spacing when they're further space further apart that's a faster film speed which means there's it takes less light to make a a latent image on there when they're closer together takes more light which equals slower film and higher resolution but like derek was saying that math is no longer true (laughs) i I, I don't think it translates yeah, on the Nikon system, the sweet spot for the greatest dynamic range is always the lowest number. And like Derek mentioned, it was often 200. Now on the new D800, D4, it goes down to 100. There's also a low one setting and different low settings, which gives you the equivalent of a lower ISO. So low one would be like a 50 ISO if 100 was the lowest number. But you actually are compromising quality. You're not getting a higher quality. So the only real advantage is kind of like a neutral density of so if you're yeah. a waterfall photographer, it would be great to go down to to a number ten or five or whatever. But right. but otherwise, there's there's no real advantage. Yeah, very good. A great question. Thanks a lot, listener Mark Lowe. All right, the next question is from listener Chris Moody. He writes: uh, Years ago, I started using iPhoto to store my photos. Now I'm using Aperture. After switching, I upgraded my hard drive. While I still have all the photos, many of them were offline referenced files in the old iPhoto library. While I've reconnected everything, is there an easy way to bring all the old reference files back into the managed Aperture library? Derek, you you and Steve are are (laughs) resident Aperture experts, I know. Don, I'm not sure what you use for Uh post-processing. I use Lightroom, so I can't uh, can't say that. You and I will step to the back of the room. Derek, you go first. What What does listener Chris Moody do in this situation? Yeah, what is, well, what is he doing? I mean, holy Toledo, he's using a reference <laughs> file system with iPhone. He's got some string <laughs> tied to the doorknob, and he tied the other end to his tooth, yeah. and he's trying to pull it out. <laughs> that's that's pretty wild. I mean, way back, I, I did, uh, you know, just sort of for fun, there is a way you can do reference files in iPhoto, but it's not really a you know, super usable workflow. So that's pretty interesting. What uh, here's what I would do though, just to to get to, uh, what you need to do is he needs to get his iPhoto libraries, uh, in, in order first, uh, because now we have the unified library. So, but in order to take advantage of the unified library, which means that either iPhoto can open the same library, the iPhoto library needs to be the current version. Yeah. And so he needs to get uh, whatever, wherever all those files are, he needs to get them, uh, you know, into his iPhoto library and all nice and tidy. 
then update his iPhoto library. And then if he has a bunch of iPhoto libraries, then he can use Aperture to merge them together into uh, to one library if he wants to do that. So, you know, I, I haven't tried this uh, this question per se. Uh, so I, I wouldn't know. I'd have to dink around with it. But uh, my intuition is to uh, get your iPhoto and li- library in order first and then go from there. Now, Derek, are you using, are you using referenced files in your – how are you using – are you referencing your images or, or do you have Aperture manage everything? And if so, are you using Lightroom as well? What's your flow? Um, I use Aperture most of the time. Uh, I do use Lightroom uh, mainly f- uh, for teaching, but but Aperture for running my business. And it's funny the the MacBook Retina has uh, changed my workflow a little bit. Hmm. I, I bring uh, all the images onto the MacBook Pro now with this SSD, and I do a managed library initially. Do all my image editing. Do all all my work because it's so blazing fast it's just addicting it's like having a fast car and then um once i've done my work and everything and i've uh done my output and all that then i then i uh move those masters out onto an external hard drive uh and then i go to a reference file system and uh if i decide i need to work on uh, those images again i actually then consolidate i bring them back onto the macbook pro do my work and then send them back out it's so easy to go referenced unreferenced you can just do it in a second that uh i just really want to take advantage of that solid state drive remember in aperture whatever the slowest device you have you know external hard drive or the slowest device you have in the chain that will bring the whole system you know, to that to that level. Yeah, so you want a weak link, as, right? Yeah, you want to work as fast as you can most of the time. Yeah. Hey, Steve, do you have anything to add to that? I know you're, the, you're uh, an aperture guy as well. I am. I am. The only thing I'll add is, uh, you know, and Derek is is really uh, an aperture expert um, as well. I not, I'm not quite the expert he is, but I would say that you know, aperture right now in its current uh, version is something to look at. And if people, Apple people, because it only does work on Apple computers, sorry, Don, um, you should you should take a look at it because it's blazing fast. That auto enhance button, Derek, have you played with that? I it's, like it. It's pretty astounding. It's pretty accurate in terms of you know getting you to where you want to go. So on import, you can you know set your your preferences to to use that auto enhance button, and you may not need to do very much else. Uh, workflow. So for me, you know, part of the joy of, of of working on the computer is not working on the computer. So the the sooner yes. I can get stuff done, <laughs> the better it is. So um, yeah, that's that's all I'll say. And I I'm really looking forward to seeing what it will do uh, on the new Retina display. But that was a a pretty good endorsement, um, whether you know it or not. Uh, what you just said. Yeah, I love it. I love it, Derek. Yeah. Derek, you're so you've. Yeah, I mean, part of part of the reason why you're so good at what you do is you keep a foot in both camps on the Lightroom and the Aperture mm-hmm. side, and you teach on both. Mm-hmm. Looking mm-hmm. at the current state of both applications, Lightroom four and the latest version of Aperture, is anyone winning yet in terms of overall functionality, or is it still a draw? Or what, what do you think? Well, I think I think it's it's what's important to you. I mean, there are things that Lightroom four does that is. is that are wonderful that I just love. I mean, their, their built-in uh, noise uh, reduction is fantastic. Uh, the lens corrections, you know, stuff like that, really cool, really cool. In terms of overall workflow, 
I mean, the develop module in Lightroom, I think, is is a, is a thing of beauty. Yeah, it's magic. Uh, it is. It's really great. In terms of overall workflow right now, and especially if you're working on a solid-state drive, though, uh, the Aperture, just for getting things done quickly, uh, I think is is really nice. So if you're an event photographer, wedding photographer, things like that, or whenever you're dealing with just a whole bunch of pictures, uh, the uh, the Aperture workflow right now, as Steve was saying, is is very sweet. So I would say if your images a lot, if that's really your number one thing, I think uh, Lightroom uh, is uh, the develop module is still has an edge. Uh, if you need to work fast, uh, I think Aperture has got the edge. All right, cool. All right, before we move on to the picks of the week, uh, a nod to our other sponsor. This episode of This Week in Photo is also brought to you by FreshBooks. And essentially, you know, I use FreshBooks. I'm, I'm really happy to say that, that they have, and I said this before, they have made me thousands of dollars <laughs> over the past several months in just billings that would have required a lot more effort than they were worth for me to go after. Uh, and with the automated billing feature that they have in there, they just, you know, it's almost like a paycheck. It just goes out for clients that just get automatically billed. The service just sends out the bills and follows up with late notices and adds late fees on and all that stuff. Clients can pay online and it's done. I love it. So if you're in business for yourself, you know, the big thing that we all love doing is getting paid. But as photographers, we don't generally have the we don't like asking for our money you know like creative people in general unless you're a special kind of business person um we don't generally like to ask for money it feels like you know you should just automatically pay me but people don't do that so what they do is they they take all the time that it takes to create those invoices and deal with paperwork they take all the pain out of that they make it really easy they've been in business business since 2004 letting you do these invoices you can email them to your clients like I was saying, they can view them online and pay you right on the spot with a credit card. None of that crazy stuff. You can keep track of your time that you spent on a particular job inside of FreshBooks and then flick a switch and turn that timesheet into an invoice. Done. You know, And so it makes, it makes things easier for your accountant, makes things easier for you. Everything is up and up and, and, and uh, very accurate. So it's really cool. So if you sign up right now, you'll get 30 days of unlimited use, all the features, no restrictions, all the client staff, everything, zero limits. Before they had limits on there. Now there are no limits. You can sign up and set up your business like you would normally set it up just to see how it would really work. And um, you can try it for 30 days for free. And if you do try it, please be sure to tell them that you heard about it on TWIP so that they can know that, you know, we are actually sending people over to them. So, again, sign up for now. Get 30 days of unlimited use. Everything, no limits. Just head over to FreshBooks.com. Okay, it's time for the Picks of the Week segment. This is the segment where um, our guests can pick anything that they want to talk about as long as it is somehow photography-related. The first pick of the week is going to Mr. Derek Story. Derek, what's your pick of the week? So I've been having a lot of fun. Uh, and you guys probably have already used these, but I've never used them before. Uh, studio uh, flash triggers. little uh, radio. Have you guys used anyone else used Say these? that again. What is it, Derek? You were cutting out a little bit. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Cowboy Studio flash triggers? No, I've never heard of that. What is that? 
Oh, my gosh. Oh, guys. So these are radio flash triggers uh, that you can use for your flash. You put, you know, one end on your in the hot shoe in your camera and the other uh, component on the end of your flash. And it has four channels. And uh, you can, you know, pick any of the four channels. And you click the shutter and the flash goes off magically. Uh, it's, the thing about them is uh, you can get a set for $24. Whoa. Wow. $24, yes. $24. Yes. $24, yes. A two, right. a, a two and a four with no zeros on there. Wow. And, and they uh, they really work. I mean, they're not fancy. I mean, the, the, the on-off switch and the channel switches, they're like those old uh, dip switches that we used to see when we'd open up an old computer device. You know, they're, they're very simple, but they're really effective. And, you know, one of the things that I've discovered is that I really like manual flash. The other thing is they're not ETTL. Uh, I really like manual flash because with digital, I mean, I, I get to know my flash and I'm usually within an F-stop or so anyway, and then I can check it. And it's uh, so much faster uh, to use for me. Yeah. So uh, these, these little guys are terrific. So if you don't have a wireless situation and uh, you want to, to, Put any kind of flash with any kind of camera. Right now, I'm using a little Canon flash with my Olympus OMD, and they work fantastic. Wow. We'll definitely link over to this. Yeah, I'm looking at Amazon right now, $22.19. Yes. Isn't that something? <laughs> That's crazy. And they work. <laughs> they wow. Work. And you have these, right? How many did you buy? Uh, I bought two sets. Wow. I bought two sets. So I, I, I did. I invested 40 some odd dollars in this. And uh, they take uh, two AAA batteries, and that's... That's it. So you just carry some extra batteries and off to the races you go. I am going to buy one of these tonight. So Yeah, they're fun. You'll have fun, Fred. You'll, you'll use it, Fred, because you do this kind of stuff. I will definitely use it. I have a, I have an Alien Bees or a Pulsey Buff ring light that I want to put some dedicated wireless on. So this looks like it might just work for that. Very cool. Well, it, it's not dedicated, so it's not ETTL. So. No, no, no. I know neither yeah, is the, yeah. neither is the Palsy Buff ring light. Okay. I just I just yeah. want. So I mean, dedicated fan. as in it's going to stay with this unit all the time. <laughs> yes, is that, there you go. There I'm going to marry the cowboy to Paul. <laughs> <laughs> so Paul, look out! All right, uh, Mr. Steve Simon, what's your pick of the week? Well, I just chose uh, something that I needed uh, for the new D4 D800. It's just a little protective screen that goes over the back of the camera. And it's an item called Martin Fields Overlay Plus Screen. And they make, I think, a variety of different ones. But what I like about this is it's made uh, specifically for those cameras. So you don't have to cut anything out. Um, generally, I, I think it's a good idea to protect the screens only because, you know, down the line when the D5 comes out, maybe you'll want to sell your D4. So the better shape it is in, you know, the better the resale value uh, once you uh, turn down the number of activations that you took with it. But <laughs> So the the beauty of this thing oh, you is figured, it, it's, you've hacked it, Steve. You figured that did out. Did I say that out loud? Sorry. No, no, no. It's it's like mileage. But I've had the frustration of of selling a camera, and everybody wants to buy a used camera with fourteen activations. Yeah. And even though the shutter 
might be 100 feet, 200, 300,000. And, and even replacing a shutter is not all that expensive when you think about it. If it's the camera's engine, it, it may only be about 500 bucks. You know, people are obsessed by, by that. But anyway, so, so these things come, you know, for the D4, for example, you've got three screens. They fit exactly. They're easy to put on. No bubbles. I didn't experience it. So, and it's cheap. And, and when new cameras come out, it's, it's sometimes hard to find these kinds of accessories for them. And the sooner you get them on with your new, new camera, the better. So, so I threw that out there. Wow. And 17 bucks, right? Yeah. Yeah. Look at yeah. that. We're, we're, all right, Don, you are, you've got, the bar is set. So <laughs> Derek came in at 22. Steve's at 17. What is your pick of the week? It's free. All right. Look at that. <laughs> Don. <laughs> oh, uh, what is it? This is a free tool from Microsoft, uh, from Microsoft Research, called their Image Composite Editor. And it's, uh, it's only for Windows, but it's a panorama stitching program. And I find that it works in ways that Photoshop will often fail. So, uh, for example, I just spent some time in, uh, in Eastern and in the middle of Istanbul, my 24 to 105 died on me. And through some voodoo and half dismounting the lens and trying to get it to work, I was able to still take pictures with it. But I had this weird uh, non-symmetrical vignetting and, and things were not exactly as they should have been. There's no lens information and Photoshop didn't really like that. It didn't want to put my panoramas together. Mm-hmm. So uh, this has happened before too. It just I, Photoshop will sometimes goof up and it doesn't do things right. So I've used Microsoft Ice. And it's really simple. You just drag and drop. You put the photos in there. It'll automatically throw them together as many as it can into a, uh, a projected panorama. And you can change the way it projects things and the way it lays things out. The beautiful thing is, as soon as you like the way it looks, you can export as a layered PSD file right back into Photoshop, do the blending and, and maybe some fine adjustments in Photoshop and continue on as if nothing happened. Um, so it's, it's a pretty powerful little tool for, for no money, and I'm glad that Microsoft has put that out there uh, at no cost. That's great. Don, i got to say, I am so glad that you're on the show so that, that we can find out about all this stuff because there's a, there's a ton of Windows people that listen to the show, and all of us are Mac users, and we miss a lot of cool tools, I'm sure. Like this one, I never would have heard of Microsoft Ice if it weren't for you. So thank you for coming I'll on. I'll carry the torch. Carry the torch, you know, until you buy that Mac and then you'll be <laughs> and you'll be ruined. Yeah. All right, guys, real quick. My pick is um, it's kind of photo related. Actually, it is photo related. Um, so I've been working on this new product on Mediabytes that we're about to launch. So I was looking for some icons to use on the different pages that I need to deploy. And I went to iStock and, you know, they have a ton of icons there. But everything's expensive. I mean, it seemed it seemed too expensive for what I wanted. Like, I just need, like, an image of a camera on a photo, like an icon, and I was going to have to pay a lot of money for it, you know? So I was like, there's got to be a better way. So I put the word out in the sort of marketing community asking for what other people use, and the, the word I got back was, everyone's using the service called iconfinder.com, iconfinder.com. So... And what's cool about it is you can, they're free, right? So you can use these icons on here. You can use them on your blog. You can use them in presentations. In fact, I'm building a presentation tonight that I'm using icons from the service in. And they're in PNG format with transparent backgrounds. And they're just gorgeous. Most of them are just gorgeous. You can drag out whatever resolution you need and drop it right into Keynote or you know PowerPoint, whatever you're using. And it is free. So definitely check it out. It's at icon finder.com 
All right, gents. I'm sad. We are at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. Don, I'm going to give the honors to you first of telling us where people can find you. Mr. Don Komarechka, where are you at online? Best place to look is at doncom.ca. It's D-O-N-K-O-M dot C-A. Uh, but you could also find me on Twitter and Google+. Plus. It should be all linked to from there. Uh, but that's my portfolio and my portal to everything on the web. All right. And once again, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to have you on, and thank you so much for taking the time. Pleasure to be here. All right. Next up, Mr. Steve Simon. Steve, where are you at online? Uh, well, I'm, I thought I would promote a couple of workshops I have coming up. Yeah, uh, go for it. Working with uh, Nikonian'sAcademy.com. I've got some Nikon-specific workshops in Vancouver the end of August, yep. uh, and then in Boston and Chicago. So if they went to uh, – if, if Twippers would go to Nikonian'sAcademy.com, uh, they'd be able to find me. I'm also doing the Passionate Photographer workshops uh, as well. Okay. All right. Be sure to send me the links, Steve, or stick them in the show notes, and we'll uh, you know, make sure they get in the blog post for this episode. We'll, we'll do. All right. And Derek Story, finally, where are you at online? The same place as always, thedigitalstory.com, and a weekly podcast and information about workshops, Twitter, Facebook, all, Pinterest, all that good stuff. It all resides right there. You're on Pinterest now, huh? I'm digging Pinterest, actually. Yeah? I, I'm really surprised. You know, in, uh, along the lines of what you were saying earlier, uh, Frederick, that I, I thought was really good advice, the thing I like about Pinterest is it's not the same old people. That, yeah. uh, that I'm sharing with is a, it's a very fresh crowd and they're very enthusiastic and they're very, very clever, very clever crowd. So uh, I'm, I'm like interesting. I found the other day. Did you know uh, that if you boil water uh, before you make ice cubes with it, the ice cubes will be clear and not cloudy. Wait a minute. Say that again. Wait, if you, you learn this on Pinterest. If I learned you- this on Pinterest. If you want clear ice cubes, you know, because I, I, a lot of times, you know, you put the water in the tray and you get the cloudy stuff. If you want clear ice cubes for, let's say, you're having some friends over, boil the water first, then make the ice with it, and uh, it'll be clear. But what about for those of us that have the ice maker built into our refrigerator? What do we do? <laughs> well, you know, but, you know what you—you know—that gives us those those little big slices and stuff. You get some nice trays, gets with the little cocktail cubes, right? Yeah, yeah totally. You know, I mean, you know, how much are your friends worth to you if they're yeah. going to come over? You're going to give them nice little. You're not going to give them those big cloudy orange slices, are you? My or, friends don't care about the ice; they uh, care about what's surrounding <laughs> the ice. <laughs> All the ice does is keep the balls of beer cold, right? Exactly. <laughs> beer, I wish. Yeah, the the uh, would it gray goose. <laughs> oh my gosh! Hey, great! You want the clear ice cubes if uh, if you ever do it. But my point is that Pinterest is it's an interesting place. There's uh, there's cool stuff going on there. Does Pinterest still have a very scary terms of use policy? Yes, uh, I, I don't think they've they've changed it uh, dramatically. But um, meaning they're not liable if someone sues you for pinning one of their photos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all uh, all that stuff. But the way that I use it is that I pin my own stuff. So oh. you know, so what I'm doing, Derek, you it, know that you know that causes blindness allegedly. So yes, yes, be careful. Yes, I, I try not to do it too often. <laughs> but um, the basically what I do is I I pin my own tips and my own stuff and everything. So then I would have to sue me, and uh, probably not going to do that. Yeah, very good. 
Cool. All right, guys. Well, we're at the end of another episode of This Week in Photo. If you want to keep up with all things TWIP, check out thisweekinphoto.com. Also, please support the show by leaving us a comment on iTunes. And while you're on iTunes, be sure to check out the TWIP podcast app. It's a handy way to keep up with the shows as soon as they are released. And finally, if you're looking for me, Frederick Van Johnson, you can find me at frederickvan.com. Thanks, guys. It's time to take that lens cap off. This Week in Photo is a Pixelcore.tv production. Produced by Suzanne Llewellyn. With technical producers John Riley and Alutha Jamakar. 